0: So we are in week three, week three of our series, and for those of you, the series that we're in is all about uh, the core values, the core values of South Hills, core values here at South Hills. Now, um, every family has a way of thinking and talking and handling things, and the same is true for the church, Right? Our church, we have a way of thinking of handling things, the way we uh, present things, and so who are we? who are we as a church? what are our priorities and where do we get these ideas from All right and those are the questions that we're trying to answer uh, throughout this series now There are a handful of stories and sayings from the first generation of Christians that summarize sort of what we try, uh, the type of church that we set out to be. Our mission here at South Hills is to lead unchurched people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And as a church, we have core values that kind of identify who we are and what our goals are. We believe that we, we right here, this group here, are our um, diverse family of followers who share the same certain values. This is us. And so throughout this series, my goal is to remind, to refocus and re-rally our church folks around the 10 core values as we gradually reopen our campus and our facilities. Um, and to ready ourselves for what God has in store for us next. So take a look at our bumper video and I'll jump into this next core value. Every family has a way of doing things. A way they handle the big stuff and the small stuff. A way of thinking Doing, gathering, serving, being, tells you who they are and what they stand for. We are South Hills. We are family.
1: This This is is us. us.
0: This is us. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a get-together or a party or what? What a, just a group of people coming over and together to make it work? Complicated, so difficult to put together to make it work, right, uh, for everybody that was coming in that you almost decided to, to, to cancel it. Like, oh, I don't want to do this. You, you, you plan it, you, you try to put it all together, but things have got a little, little crazy and, and you just decided, you know what, I'm going to cancel. Maybe it was that certain people uh, couldn't get there uh, at the time that you wanted to get them there, you know, that you wanted them there. Or maybe it was uh, that someone else needed a ride or that uh, people had food allergies, right? Or maybe it was you. Maybe it was, it was the fact that uh, you didn't want to be the one that had to clean up before and after the party or the fact that you had to buy a new outfit. Ladies don't have that problem, right? Um, or that you didn't want to foot the bill to, to feed all of these, these hungry, hungry people uh, coming to your house. Uh, the truth is that you probably don't even like them, right? You know, we, we come up, we have these excuses. Ever have that happen to you? Right. And and here's the thing, maybe you won't admit it here in front of some of the people that you invited to those (laughs) to those get-togethers. But if we're being honest, what we're really thinking inside is, is this man, involving and including these people sounds way too complicated and inconvenient. I don't want to have to compromise my comfort in order to include all of these other people. Now, maybe you don't admit that here, but chances are you've probably thought that. Listen, it's, it's one thing to think about this um, for a party that you're not really feeling like you want to throw, but unfortunately, lots of people think like this when it comes to church. They think like this when it comes to church. It's not that, it's not that I don't want to include other people. I just want it to be easy. I just want church to be easy. I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want it to require any sacrifices from my from my part, from my behalf. Right? I don't want it to inconvenience me. I'm willing to help other people as long as it doesn't impact. Or affect me, and what I like. But that's not selfish. It's not selfish because the word selfish sounds bad. This is this is something different. This is, and it's okay to feel the way I feel. And so when we think like this, right? When we 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 try to rationalize this, the the, the question now becomes, where is the line, right? Where is the line? How much of your party? How much of your party ought to be just about you? How much of your church experience ought to be just about you, right? Where you're at, what you want, how you feel. And I want you to know this morning that that, that I'm not trying to make you feel bad, if that's the questions that you've had, because I believe those are good questions. Those are things that we should be asking, right? And it's good to ask questions that kind of find out where, you, where you're where you at, what you're feeling. You're definitely not the first person to ever feel like this, nor will you be the last one. These are good questions, and God speaks into things like this. And so if you have your Bible, if not, it's on the screen. We're going to be reading from the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 10. In this first section part here, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. There is a, maybe a priest or a religious expert that wants to ask Jesus some questions. And he says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit internal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, if if you didn't catch it the first time around, I'll explain what just took place here. This guy is asking Jesus about how to get to heaven at a later point. But Jesus turns it around and changes it. And he talks, changes the subject to how to bring heaven to earth in the here and the now. Let's keep reading. Luke 10 verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? A little cheeky there right now isn't that like us isn't that like us to look to justify what we know we should be doing but don't do and yet still want credit for doing it asking who is my neighbor is a polite way of asking who's not my neighbor who do who don't i have to include who who don't i have to love who pose Get away with the least amount of compassion for others. Let's keep reading. Verse 30. So Jesus now replies to this man, right, to the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replies, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he too, or he also passed by on the other side. Verse 33, then a uh, despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper keeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed the mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, we've heard this before is why didn't the first two guys, why didn't the first two guys step in and help the man in need, right? There are specific reasons as to why they didn't do that are not outlined or are not written in Scripture, probably are layered and a bit complicated, but the overall reason, I think it's pretty clear. It was inconvenient. It was inconvenient to stop and address the man that was in need. And maybe a little bit more than you actually realize. Let me give you some context here. In the book of Numbers, chapter 19, there's a section I'm going to uh, read to you at this moment. It says, all those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third and seventh days, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle, and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent, or those who enter the tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Any open container in the tent That was not covered with a lid is also defiled. Verse 16. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. So it kind of brings this a little bit better understanding of what was going on here. So if the guy's dead, which he's not, right? He's not dead, but might look like he is. Even getting close enough to check on him and discovering that he's dead will contaminate you and require you to quarantine for seven days, right? <laughs> Anybody had to quarantine lately, right? Imagine not having a phone. Not having apps, not having uh, you know Hulu on your phone. Imagine, imagine having to quarantine with apps. Just like, just having nothing to do, right? And if he is dead, there is nothing you can do anyway except bury him. And uh, but that's that's someone else's problem. But even if you set all that aside, and let's say that this person on the street is still alive, which he is. It's a massive commitment to help the guy who actually stopped to help. Look at everything he ended up doing. It was a huge investment on his behalf. It cost him time. It cost him money. It cost him resources, personal space, relationships, connections, business, a risk of injury. The Samaritan's decision to help doesn't just inconvenience him. It has a ripple effect, right? It ripples out and it begins to inconvenience others, everyone around him, his family, his job, the innkeeper where he took this man, his finances. this, This isn't just a story in a book. This is really how Jesus did life because Jesus did this a lot. There are so many examples in the Gospels where Jesus was on his way somewhere where he stops what he's doing, where he's going, and who he's talking to in order to help someone else. In fact, almost every healing that Jesus performs, he does after being interrupted on his way somewhere. And this is so crazy because. Jesus, the Messiah, right, the Son of God, had only three years here on earth to complete his ministry. Three short years to do everything that God had asked of him, right? And yet he still allowed for others to interrupt his agenda. He allowed others to to step in and say, hey, Jesus, I need your help. Can you help me with this? Hey Jesus my sandal is broken. Do you got an extra one? Right? An agenda by the way that included teaching human humankind about God and saving the world. So why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Because for Jesus loving others wasn't something you did when it was convenient. Loving others was inconvenient. It was something you prepared your soul and your schedule to be inconvenienced by. We want God to meet us where we're at. We don't wanna go meet where meet God where he's at. Oh, but I'm the one in need. Yeah, but God is always ask, also asking us to come and press in. A good friend of mine who was just getting started in ministry many, many years back was constantly being asked to to and pulled in every direction to serve and to love others, said this man, ministry is inconvenient. Ministry is inconvenient. I laughed because it, it was so true. Ministry is inconvenient, right? I've said this before, love isn't a feeling, it's an action. The point of having empathy isn't to feel bad, it's to do good. I think about that for a second. Oh man, I feel so bad for them. How does that help that person? You feeling bad. I think God is calling us to begin to do something different to begin to act. This parable isn't just about how Jesus wants us to love and serve, but who he wants us to love and serve. There's a reason why the the Bible specifically says that a Samaritan came to the rescue, right? The Samaritan came to the rescue because the Samaritans and the Jews did not play well together. They did not do life well together. There was a lot of tension between them. And so what Jesus is essentially telling us is whoever you're looking to justify not inconveniencing yourself for is exactly who you ought to inconvenience yourself for. Because it's easy to see someone in need and say, you know what? Somebody else is gonna take care of that person. Someone else is going to help. Someone else is going to step in. Because I I it's inconvenient for me. It's gonna cost me time. It's gonna cost me money. It's gonna, it's gonna cost me uh for me to deviate from what I want to do. And Jesus is saying, whoever you're looking to justify not inconveniencing yourself for is exactly who you ought to inconvenience yourself for. Jesus was expanding the definition of neighbor. He wasn't trying to change it. He was expanding on it. Jesus isn't claiming certain people aren't your neighbor, but that a whole lot more people are now your neighbor. Jesus is always expanding the expectations of love to be bigger, bolder and more inclusive. The first two characters in this story were only willing to sacrifice so much to serve certain people. And sometimes when I think about the church, the church in general, I wonder how willing Are people to sacrifice for the benefit of someone else? The Samaritan was willing to inconvenience himself on behalf of someone who would have more than likely never inconvenienced themselves on his behalf. Right? Because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. So chances are the Jew would not inconvenience himself on behalf of of the Samaritan, but the Samaritan was willing to do it for the Jew. Then Jesus asked, so who was the neighbor? The answer was both obvious and uncomfortable. It wasn't the ones with the right answers, but the one with the right actions. And then Jesus challenges his followers to be like the Samaritan in the story. Inconvenience yourself on behalf of others who aren't like you, who, who, who may even be unkind to you or hostile towards you. Even if others around you who claim to be God followers aren't doing it. And even if you get a bad reputation for it, Inconvenience yourself on behalf of others. Church, this is who we strive to be. And this is why our third value as a church is we reach new and different people by trying new and different things. We reach new and different people by trying new and different things. For those of you who have been with us over the last couple of years, We do little things a little little, little crazy sometimes. You go home and be like, what was he thinking? Why would he do it that way, right? We set our course according to what our community needs, not according to what other churches are doing. And we are unapologetically considerate of those who don't consider themselves Christians. We who who don't go to church, who actually hate the church or who are hostile towards the church. We make decisions based on what we believe to be the best way to show them the love of Jesus. And it will always require us of others. That's why we're not like a lot of other churches. We're willing to do what no one else is doing to reach those who no one else is reaching. And for some of you, that's why you're here at South Hills. It's, it's the only reason you feel comfortable inviting and bringing your friends here. It's the only reason your family members or coworkers are even entertaining the idea of faith after having so many bad experiences at other places. Because we're willing to do things differently to make this a safe place for them to explore and investigate their spirituality, to find out what this Jesus thing is all about. And we will always continue to do church this way. We will always continue to do church. We're always going to continue to open up our doors. And we're going, to, we're going to cast out as many nets and hooks in order to reach people who probably wouldn't come in. Because here's the reality. Nobody really wakes, unless you are a Jesus lover, nobody really wakes up on a Sunday and say, oh, I think I'm going to go to church today. Nobody really does that. In fact: I know a lot of people who don't that don't do that, and you probably do as well. Many of them you've invited before. Nah, I'm good. Call me when you get out. Let's do lunch when you get out. Church doing this, doing church this way is very inconvenient. It's costly and it's uncomfortable. And I sometimes lose sleep, sometimes lose sleep trying to be a church like this, but man, is it so worth it to me? is it so worth it to me. So let me wrap this up there's a There's a lot of talk in the Christian. Right, questions come up like, oh, I, you know, I need a little more substance in the message and and I need a, a little more prayer time and I need a little more worship time. Can can we get start dancing in the seats and, and running around? Can we start speaking in tongues? And can we start doing these things? And and listen, I get it. I really do. Right? That that that's there's nothing wrong with that. But then I'm drawn back to this core value. And when I think about being deep, I think about my own devotion time. Am I I in my word of God? Have 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 I taken the time out to personally worship God? Am I doing the things that I need to do to build myself up? Because what we do on Sundays for the general public to come in and feel loved and welcome. And so when I think about this definition of deep, this is what comes to my mind. Spiritual maturity is intentionally inconveniencing yourself for the sake of showing love to those who don't feel like, you don't feel like loving and serving. Being a part of this church, wanting to serve, Wanting to be a part of it, right? It's it's the spiritual maturity of intentionally inconveniencing yourself for the sake of showing love to those you don't feel like serving and loving. Imagine if, if, if I woke up and be like, you know what? These people get on my nerves. You know what? I'm not doing church today. Mm-mm. No. No way. I don't want to clean up. I don't want to set up. I don't want to tear down. I don't want to come here on a Saturday and, and sweat it on them, build this tent. No, mm-mm. that's not what I want to do on my Saturday. What would, what would that feel like? Friends, we we wanna be a deep church, which is which is why this is our target. Intentionally inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of showing love to those who don't feel like serving and loving. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, for even the son of man came not to be served for many, to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many, not just one, for many. And who are those many? Mark chapter two, verse 17 speaks into that. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Who needs a doctor? Sick people do. Sick people need a doctor. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So yes, maybe our church doesn't look like what you're used to. Maybe this is the first time you're experiencing church or maybe you've been, you come from a different church and church was done differently. But we're going to continue to work hard. We're going to continue to intentionally do things, new and different things, to reach new and different people. Our goal, our mission is to get unchurched people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if I got to bring burritos next week for you to invite somebody for a burrito, then guess what? I'm bringing burritos. If I got to get another tent or a pool, John, that would be great. All right, John, a pool by your side right there? That will be cool. Then I'm going to get a pool. I'm going to do whatever I got to do For people to feel and experience the love of Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, if you bring someone in here and I start talking about the blood of Jesus, they're going to look at me a little funny. So I got to create an environment and an experience that allows them to understand and experience the love of Jesus in a tangible way. We're going to continue to do that here. We're going to continue to serve. We're going to continue to love. We're going to continue to be inconvenienced for the greater good of our people, our community, your family, and your friends. Amen.